Today I want to talk to you about doing it right. Look to the person next to you and say, this time, I'm going to do it right. The Israelites are moving forward. A generation had died off because of partial obedience. You see, oftentimes we forget this. The Israelites were already in part of the promised land. There was a portion of the promised land on the eastern side. They had already taken possession. Uh, Two and a half tribes had taken possession of their land. But this Jordan River stood in the way. And they failed to move forward and take possession of all that God had for them. Now a new generation has risen up. And they are ready to move forward. We remember from last week's message, when the priests stepped out and put their feet in the water, when they put their feet in the water, the water began to back up. And the people walked through into the promised land upon dry ground. At Gilgal was the first place that they went to. They left a stone of remembrance. Remember, we talked about we leave our mark, and that's what they did. They built a stone of remembrance. It's also significant, if you'd read in Joshua chapter 5, that at Gilgal, they renew the covenant of circumcision. During this 38 years or 40 years of desert wandering, they had not, the young men who were born or who were growing up, they had not renewed that covenant of circumcision. And so at Gilgal, as they get into the land, one of the very first things they do is they renew that covenant of circumcision, which is the mark that says, I belong to Jehovah. Okay, One of the things that that distinguished them from other people, the sexual immorality, the idolatry of other people, they bear the mark of this covenant upon their physical bodies. It was also at Gilgal that they celebrate the Passover. They celebrated the feast of the Passover. And when they celebrated the feast of the Passover, that very day they began to eat the produce of the land. And from that day on the day of the Passover, the manna stopped coming down. The manna ended right then. And they began to eat the produce of the land. These things are of great significance because they show that they're doing it right this time. Before them stands this city of Jericho. It'll be the first major city that they confront. This fortified city was tightly shut up. And many of us are familiar with some of the instructions that Joshua told the children of Israel to do. What was those instructions that he told the people to do? Somebody from Sunday school. You remember as a kid, what did he tell them to do? Walk around the city. Last day, they need to walk around the city seven times. They're to blow their horns and they're to shout. And what does God say? The walls of that city are going to come down. Now, most of us are familiar with that. There's another command that Joshua gave that day that some of us pass over quite quickly. And if you'll turn with me to Joshua chapter 6 verse 15, we're going to pick up the account of on day number 7. Okay, Joshua chapter 6 verse 15. On the seventh day, They got up at daybreak and marched around the city seven times in the same manner, except that on that day, they circled the city seven times. 
The seventh time around, when the priest sounded a trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. The city and all that is in it are to be devoted to the Lord. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house should be spared because she hid the spies we sent. Verse 18, and I want you to underline this in your Bibles. But keep away from the devoted things so that you will not bring about your own destruction by taking any of them. Otherwise, you will make the camp of Israel liable to destruction and bring trouble on you. All the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron are sacred to the Lord and must go into his treasury. When the trumpet sounded, the people shouted, and at the sound of the trumpet, when the people gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed. So every man charged straight in, and they took the city. They devoted the city to the Lord and destroyed with the sword every living thing in it. Men and women, young and old, cattle, sheep, and donkeys. Father God, we pray that you would add a blessing to the reading of your word. I pray that you would speak to our hearts. I pray, God, that you would guide our understanding. And Lord, help us to do it right this time. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, here's the deal. God told Joshua, this city of Jericho is to be devoted to the Lord. Keep away from the devoted things, or else you will open up the camp to destruction and cause trouble to come upon all of you. The contents of Jericho were to be given to the Lord as the first fruits of the land. Just as the first fruits of a crop were to be devoted to the Lord, and that pointed that there would be more crops to come and God would provide, so the conquest of Jericho signified that Israel would receive all of Canaan from him. No loot from Jericho was to be taken by the people. In carrying out this command, people and animals were to be killed, and other things were either to be completely, totally destroyed, so they could not be of use anymore, or they were to be set apart, as in the case of the silver and the gold for the purposes of the sanctuary. All was devoted either to destruction or to the Lord's treasury. Everything from the city of Jericho was to be forfeited by the people and given to the Lord. Now, this was a test of the priorities of the people of Israel. Were they going to do it right this time? If God is in any place, please listen to this closely. If God is in any place but first place in your life, you and I are living in idolatry. If God is in any place but first, that is idolatry. Idolatry, you don't have to pick up a microphone and bow down to the microphone and say, oh thou great microphone to be living in idolatry. All you have to do is have other things be in God's rightful place in your heart, in your life, in your mind. To keep moving forward, God must be in his rightful place continually. If he is not in his rightful place, the wheels of your life begin to fall off. It happened very quickly for the people of Israel. And friends, many times 
the problem for us is that it doesn't happen quickly enough. When God is not in his rightful place, the best thing that can happen to us is that things begin to start messing up. Why? Because then it awakens us and we understand what's going on. Wait a minute, my priorities are out of place. I have something else in place of God. God said the spoils from this victory are mine. Do not lay a hand on what is devoted to me. This shows a lot about the people's beliefs, about their trust, about their obedience. Do you believe that God is worthy of honor above yourself? That was the question. Do you believe that God is worthy of honor above yourself? Do you trust that he will take care of you if you put him first? And are you going to be obedient and wait upon the Lord, or will you rush ahead and do the things as you plan? That was the challenge that stood before the people of Israel. Do you trust me? Do you trust me? Do you trust me that I'll provide for you? Am I worthy? Am I more worthy of the glory and the praise and the benefits than what you are? Those are the questions. In Joshua chapter 7, it says this, But the Israelites acted unfaithfully in regard to the devoted things. Achan, son of Carmi, the son of Zimri, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took some of them. So the Lord's anger burned against Israel. Now Joshua sent some men from Jericho to Ai, which is near beth to the east of Bethel, and told them, go up and spy out the land. So the men went up and spied out Ai. When they returned to Joshua, they said, not all of the people will go up against Ai. Send two or three thousand men to take it. And do not weary all the people, for only a few men are there. So about 3,000 men went up, and they were routed by the men of Ai, who killed about 36 of them. And they chased the Israelites from the city gate as far as the stone quarries and struck them down on the slopes. At this, the hearts of the people melted and became like butter. What had happened? Just a few days prior, they had a miraculous victory. An incredible victory. I mean, all they did, can you believe it? No one would believe it. You walk around the city and like have Howard play the trumpet and everybody say, woo, and the walls are going to fall down? Like, no way. No one believes that it would happen. And yet when they obeyed God, it happened just as he said. They have this incredible victory Then they go out and they face their enemies. And as they face their enemies, they suffer a loss. Now, it really wasn't that huge of a loss. In the scope of the losses that Israel had experienced throughout their history, 30-some people dying is not that great of a loss. I mean, it's obviously a great loss for them and their families. But do you notice how the people, their hearts melted before them? Fear captivated them. And they lose all of their courage. Friends, please understand this. When you don't do it right, defeat is just around the corner. When you don't do it right, don't expect to be able to stand in confidence before your enemies. When you're not doing it right, don't expect to be able to face your enemies with courage and with confidence. Because when the Israelites did that, they were defeated. Okay, And it creates this fear that overwhelms them and and their hearts melted and became like water. 
Joshua falls on his face and he begins to ask the Lord, God's what's happening? How can we go from this place of great victory and great confidence? How can we go from this place of great victory and great confidence to a place of defeat so quickly? Any of you ever wonder that about your life? Like, how can I go from a place where I feel like I can do anything? I feel like I'm on top of the world. To in an, at just a moment, in a moment whenever all of our courage is gone and all of our confidence is gone. The Lord said to Joshua, Joshua's on his face before God, and he's crying out to God, God, what's happening? And the Lord said to Joshua, stand up. What are you doing on your face? Here's the problem. Israel has sinned. They have violated my covenant, which I commanded them to keep. They've taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen. They have lied. They have put them in their own possession. That's why the Israelites can't stand against their enemies. They turn their backs and run because they have been made liable to destruction. I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy whatever among you is devoted to destruction. I'll tell you what, that's a word from God to somebody today. Have you ever heard that word from the Lord? That I won't be with you anymore if you don't destroy these things in your life. I won't strive with you anymore. My presence will not go with you. If you're going to keep playing around, if you're going to keep messing around. And that was God's words to Joshua. He said, we're going into the promised land. We're going to do it right this time. You've renewed your covenant of circumcision. You've celebrated the Passover. You're moving forward. Don't let the enemy sidetrack you. Whenever these temptations or these things come before you, and that's what happened. The people had made that mistake of taking what belonged to God. And God says, if you don't deal with this garbage, I will not go with you. They could not stand before their enemies because one man had violated trust. His sin affected the whole camp and his family, the sin of his family. There's a message here for us. Do not believe the lie that my sin only affects me. Those things that are done in secret have a profound effect on everyone who is connected to you. Your family, your friends, your co-workers other church members and people in the community, even if sin is never exposed, it has a profound effect upon lives. The Israelites had lost all confidence because they didn't do it right. Now for a moment in time, what I'd like us to do is just imagine what Achan might have thought. What position was he in during this time that builds up to this? Well, we can't be sure because the scripture doesn't give us a whole lot of detailed accounts. But if Achan had something to say, perhaps it might sound something like this. Achan's on the side here giving his 48 hours interview. No, you ever see on TV the crimes and they'll have some guy and they'll be interviewing him about what happened and And uh, I can hear Aiken saying something like, I was just a young boy, maybe five or six years old, when my parents left Egypt. Man, it was a scary time. I remember the plagues and the frogs and the gnats and the water turning into blood. It was crazy. It was just such a scary time. I remember the day that my father took the blood and put it upon the doorpost of the home. 
of our home. He told us we need to stay inside and we needed to be ready because that night the death angel passed through and, and I woke up in the morning and looked around what, what all of the Egyptians were weeping and crying. There was such mourning and heaviness over the nation of Egypt as some, the firstborn of their flocks died and their firstborn children died. But God delivered us. We loaded up and we walked out through there. On We came to the Red Sea. Pharaoh's behind us and God opened the sea. I've been there. I've seen it all. But for the past 40 years, we've lived as wanderers. Our possessions were limited to what we could carry. My wife and my children have known nothing but a makeshift home. A tent. We slept on the ground. When it rained, all of our possessions got wet. We were constantly exposed to the heat and to the cold, to the wind, to the elements. We have not had any new clothes unless someone died and handed them down. Well, when the walls of Jericho fell, it was utter chaos. We ran in and we defeated our enemies and we put them to death by the sword. We utterly destroyed them. But what happened next seemed like such a waste. We began to gather the belongings of the people and they began to set these things on fire. I have never slept in a bed in my life since I left Egypt. Not one night. And they pulled beds out and threw them on a pile and set them on fire. We spend most of our time sitting on the ground. And they had tables and benches. And we were pulling them out and making piles of them and setting them on fire. Then they began to go throughout Jericho and gather the livestock They were healthy, strong sheep, cattle, donkeys. The kind that you want to breed. The kind that will produce a good herd. Milk cattle. So much there. And we just went through and we would grab the sheep by the neck and slice their throat. And then drag them over onto the pile of furniture and set them on fire. We didn't even eat them. They were wasted. I could not see why this huge waste. The outer walls of the city had fallen down. But inside, there were still houses that were standing. I've not spent one night in a house in the last 40 years. My children have never slept. In their entire life, my children have never slept inside of anything other than a tent. And Joshua was telling us to set these beautiful homes on fire. It seemed like such a waste to me. They had piles, and I mean piles. They had piles of gold, of silver, of iron, and of bronze. And as they would go throughout each home and pull out the stuff before they would burn it, we had large piles, large piles of gold and silver and iron. And they said they were going to devote it to God. 
They're going to use it for the treasury of the tabernacle. But everything else they were burning. They burned furniture. They burned wagons. They burned a good wagon. Tools they burned. Clothes were being thrown on huge bonfires. It didn't make any sense to me when I had been so long without these things. I've waited so long for these things. My wife has never, I've never been able to provide her with a new robe. My children, their clothes that they wear are clothes of dead people that my wife sews. And we're burning this stuff? It seems like such a huge waste. And what did the Lord's house need more money for? They had enough. They would just waste it with fancy gold bowls and plates and candlesticks. The priests and the Levites looked like they were doing pretty good to me. I fought for this victory. I think I should have what I worked for. When no one was looking, I picked it up. It was only a pound and a quarter of gold. I could put it in the pocket of my robe. No one even saw. And I came upon five pounds of silver. I could hold it in my sleeve and no one would even see it. I burned a lot of garbage. I burned a lot of stuff. I devoted it to the Lord, but there was this one robe. I mean, it was really nice. I know I couldn't wear it now, but it just seemed like such a waste to throw it away. I don't see what the big deal is. And so my kids and I, we took it and we went home and I explained to them and they agreed with me, dad, why are we wasting all this good stuff? It's just going to be burned. They're just going to burn it up. Anyhow, it doesn't matter. We're going to do what we think is right for us. Doesn't matter what the priests say. Those other fools might let Joshua and the priest steal their share of the victory. But my family and I, We're going to get what's coming to us. So we took it. Let's move out of Achan's perspective. As we know, Achan and his family got what was coming to them. Their sin was found out. They were stoned. And all of their possessions were burned because they refused to do it right. I'm going to say this to you. If you hope to move forward as a church... As we look to move forward, as a family, as you look to move forward, God must be in first place in your life. If he is not, the wheels will begin to fall off. And when that happens, get on your face and thank him for it. When things don't work out because you have wrong priorities or you've done things your way, instead of being mad at God, you should get on your face and thank him for that. If your actions do not line up with your words, then he's not in first place, no matter how much you say he is. And you know, today we need to ask ourselves some questions. The first questions I want you to encourage you to ask yourself is, is God worthy of honor above yourself? Who is more worthy of the honor? Are you more worthy of the honor? Or is God more worthy? Of the honor. Can you trust 
that he will take care of you if you put him first? Are you going to be obedient and wait upon the Lord? Or will you rush ahead and do things your way? Let me pose those questions to you one more time. Is God worthy of the honor above yourself? You need to ask yourself that question. Who do I want to honor God? Do I want to honor you? Do I want to put you first? Or do I want to put my desires and my will first? Can you trust that God will take care of you? Number two, can you trust that God will take care of you if you put him first in your life? If you put him first, will he let you hang in? If you put him first, will he betray you? If you put him first, will he neglect you? Then our third question is, are you going to be obedient and wait upon the Lord? Or will you rush ahead and do things as you plan? Friends, this applies to every single area of our lives. Every area. As we move forward, there's going to be things that God in his word that he says, don't touch it. Don't go there. My glory before your glory. My will before your will. What comes to my mind, one of the things is in our young people who are dating. God has great plans for them. God has a great purpose for them. But the enemy would love to, to trip them up by saying to them, you don't have to wait. You don't have to wait for to do things in God's time. You have needs and you have desires. Don't hold back. What's God's trying to keep you from being blessed. And whenever a young man is dating a young woman, you know what God's wedding gift is to them? Physical intimacy. That's God's wedding gift. They, you know, you can hang out. You can buy gifts. You can talk. You can write letters. You can go out to dinner. You can do all kinds. You can shovel their snow and, you know, you can make him nice gifts. You can do all these things. But God says, in this relationship, there's one thing that you reserve to me. Don't touch it at this time. It's devoted to me. Your bodies are devoted to God. They're the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so to our young people, there's that temptation that I'm going to go ahead and I want to go ahead and take what I want. And what does it do? It brings destruction, it brings insecurity, it brings fears, it brings problems in their lives. Our bodies are made to honor God. And the funny thing is, is when a young person waits upon God's timing, God gives good gifts to his children. He doesn't withhold something that's good from them. And yet so many times, young people feel like, I gotta go in there, I gotta take what's mine, and, or what I feel that's mine. But friend, that young lady's been devoted to God. Until that ring's on her finger, she's his. Don't you touch her. Until that ring's on that young man's finger for our singles, ladies, don't touch him. He belongs to God. He's devoted to God. We could talk about so many other areas in our lives that this message applies. One of the things that it applies to as well is our finances. And I was thinking about them as a people, and us as a church. We need to move forward and expand and prepare for the harvest. And you need to be faithful to not touch what's devoted to God. Today, right now, we could overcome one of the obstacles that we face concerning our building program. You realize this? At this moment in time, Lighthouse does not have enough money in their budget 
to carry out the building program that we need to do to expand. We don't have the money in our budget on a weekly basis. But I just got some good news for you. God never makes a mistake to carry out that debt load. But that barrier, God spoke to me this week. That barrier could be shattered right now, today, immediately. It could be totally shattered. There's two barriers. One is carrying a debt load. The second one is the amount of resources that we have to step into that. But the debt load area, the area of our budget, could be solved. That barrier could be broken immediately, right now, if people would be obedient to the word of the Lord. I would never have to come around and beg you, bother you, harass you. Anything like that. It could be solved right now. How? Well, here's how. If those who are taking what belongs to God, the tithe, and spending it on yourselves would follow his instruction and bring it into the storehouse, our income would increase to the point that we could handle the monthly mortgage. That's all. We're done. I don't have to go to all these crazy meetings and come up with these plans and strategies. If you will simply obey the Lord and bring what God has said, don't touch it, it's mine. If you'd bring it into the storehouse, our income would increase so that we could handle the monthly mortgage. If those who are only partially obedient would become fully obedient, we could move forward. Your partial obedience is holding the whole group back. I want you to think about that. My partial obedience is holding the whole group back. Whenever Achan was partially obedient, he didn't take all the gold. He just took a little bit. He took a pound and a quarter of gold. He took five pounds of silver. He took one robe. And the nation could not move forward because he was holding back. Let's say this. When there's sin in the camp, and it doesn't matter what kind of sin... It affects the whole body. Don't you believe for a second? Friend, I'm telling you that somehow it's undercurrents, but when there's sin in the camp, it affects the whole body. It affects the whole family. It affects the whole church. It cannot help but affect the whole body because we are interconnected. Your partial obedience is holding the whole group back. It is bringing delay upon the work of God. Please don't make all of us suffer as a result of your disobedience. Partial obedience is still disobedience. You're giving a portion of what God says belong to him. I want to say this, 5% is not okay when God asks for the whole tithe. It's not enough that you give $50 a week when God says 75 was to be devoted to me. And it's not enough if you give 5000 a week if God says 5500 is what belongs to him. Whatever God says belongs to him, belongs to him. You and I should not touch it. Perhaps God can arrange to lower your income to equal your level of honor and obedience. Let me say that one more time. I don't know how many people like that one. Perhaps God can arrange to lower your income to equal your level of honor and obedience. As a body, we could face our enemies more confidently If those of you who are not following God's command and bringing the whole tithe in the storehouse would stop splitting the tithe and sending a little here and a little there. We're going to step on some toes right now. But since we're doing it, we may as well. Lift up your feet. God says to bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. If you want to support a television ministry, then by all means, go ahead. 
That should be done with an offering. That's not your tithe. Joyce Myers and any other television ministry is wrong when they say, send your tithe to my ministry. The tithe belongs to whatever home church you belong, the storehouse. And perhaps that's one of the reasons, and forgive me, but perhaps one of the, that's one of the reasons why we have all of these scandals and million-dollar pictures on walls and stuff like that because people are not following the biblical example. To split your tithe is not biblical. It's not what God asks. He says, bring the whole tithe. And if we're going to do it, let's do it right. To bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so there might be meat in my house. God says to test me in this. That's just one area. And we got all kinds of other areas. We got other areas of marriage. Let's do it right. We got areas of relationship. Let's do it right. Why, pastor? Because if you're not doing it right, it's going to hold back the whole body. We can't go forward. We got areas of parenting and training our kids and the friends. If we don't do it right, if we don't get this right, it's going to cost us. It's going to hinder God's work. And I'm tired. I want to go forward, brothers. I want to move forward. So whatever the things that God is saying to you, I'm asking you that you will be obedient and that you will determine in your heart that, God, I'm going to carefully obey all of your commands. I'm not going to step back from any of them. And you know what? There's things that God says to Achan. I can identify with Achan. I can just see Achan sitting there and looking at it and saying, this is such a stinking waste. I've never slept in a bed in the past 38 years. And you're telling me to burn it? And that's an offering to God? It didn't make sense to him. Can you understand how he would feel? Anybody? What on earth? Burning down this beautiful house? Why would we destroy it? But here's the thing. As they went in there, the first, that first city, that was God's. What the people had to do is, when they were willing to destroy the first city, It showed that they said, God, I trust that you will give us this whole land of Canaan. God, I trust that you'll provide for me, that you'll provide a home for me. God, I trust that I need a bed to sleep in, and I trust that you're going to provide a bed for me to sleep in. And I'd like for my children to be able to have a table to sit around and eat instead of sitting on the ground eating. And God, I trust that you will provide a table for me. But God didn't excuse Achan. And to be honest with you, God does not excuse us either. He holds us accountable. As we close, I'm just asking you, this time, we're ready to move forward. Can we do it right? Will you determine in your heart that at Lighthouse, we're going to do it right? Whatever those areas are, whatever area of obedience that God is putting on your heart, that you'll do it right. But here's one thing let's talk about very quickly. Let's talk about our future as a church as we move forward and prepare for the harvest. Do you realize that we can solve a huge obstacle that stands in our way concerning our budget? And it can be solved in a matter of moments. And that's if you'll simply obey the word of God, each of us. You don't have to worry about all the other people around you. I don't have to worry about all the other people around me. All I have to do is be able to say, God, I'm going to give to you what belongs to you. When I do that, let me tell you what the promise from God is. He says that if you'll test me in that area and see, see if I won't open up the windows of heaven. I'm not promising you that you're going to get rich. 
But I'm telling you that whenever the children of Israel were willing to devote those things to God, the next time, and what they did is they went in, they took Achan and his family, and the reason why they took his children is because his children were partners with him in this. They knew about it. They participated in it. Because you didn't kill someone for the sin of their fathers. They took them, their children, and all of their possessions, and they utterly destroyed them. And oftentimes that's what happens in people's lives when they don't put God first. Destruction comes upon their homes. You ever notice that? Waste comes upon them. We can be ready to move forward as a church into our future, preparing for the harvest and doing what we need to if you will simply be obedient to God in this one issue. By next week, our income will be boom. The resources will be there. And people say, well, pastor, it's only, you know, okay, you got me. It's every other week I don't give my tithe. But do you realize how quickly that adds up? Whenever there's a whole body, when we gather together, do you realize how God uses what we have? It may seem like, Pastor, it's only 40 bucks. It's only 30 bucks. Do you realize how quickly that, as we come together, how we can move forward as a church and build the facilities that we need and expand the ministry to honor God just simply by your obedience? And you know what? I'm just going to believe, I'm going to put that in your court and I'm going to believe that you want to move forward as an individual, and as a church. So thank you for doing that. Let me pray our blessing over you. And can I ask you to do this? If, as the Holy Spirit has spoken to you, this is what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm not going to ask you to make a commitment to do that. And I'm going to ask you to tell somebody. It may be finances. It may be something else where God says, don't touch it, it's mine. What I'm going to ask you to do is I'm going to ask you that you move forward with that and you tell somebody that you find someone who keep things in confidentiality and you say to them, this is the commitment I'm making today. From this day forward, my family and I, we're going to put God first in these areas of our lives. Whatever God has spoken to you, someone who will hold you accountable for that. So Lord Jesus, we thank you today that we have a choice to move forward. We have an opportunity to do it right this time. God, I pray that you would deal with our hearts in any area of our lives where we are not putting you first. I ask God in Jesus' name that you would strengthen us, empower us, convict us to do what is honorable and pleasing before you. And we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.